Welcome to Dial It Up. I'm Mike Nada. And I'm Randy Redekop. The series of podcasts contains a, a number of conversations we've had with educators about the role of digital technology in the classroom. Today we're here with two Manny's board members and experts in the area of deep learning. Um, Andy McGill and Tara McLaughlin from St. James Sinaboya School Division. So thank you for being with us and... Um, We'll just start with a quick question. Can you explain what deep learning is? I get that question quite a bit these days because in my new role as a deep learning coach, when people ask me what it is that I do and I tell them I'm a deep learning coach, there's typically a lot of head scratching that goes on. Uh, So I do have to kind of preface what that job is. And so deep learning is really all about how we are trying to prepare kids for an uncertain future. We hear all kinds of talk about how the jobs that exist when our kids are adults, we don't even know what some of those jobs will look like and some of the existing jobs will no longer be around. So deep learning is really all about how we are trying to prepare kids for that uncertain future by arming them with skills that will uh, prepare them for the future. Okay, well, part of it are these C's, the six C's. So could you tell us a bit about what that's all about? I think the six C's are kind of interesting because when we look at the language of the six C's, and I guess we should define the six C's to begin with, and I'm, I'm always getting to like five and forgetting the six, so fill in the <laughs> blank for me. So character, citizenship, communication, collaboration, critical thinking. Creativity. Creativity. So when we look at those six C's, those are the sort of the quote-unquote soft skills that we often find baked into our curriculum. They're, in deep learning language, they're the accelerators to learning. So if you invest your time and energy in developing that in your classroom, your curriculum becomes so much more, uh, so much deeper, and also so much um, so much more provocative in terms of connecting to the real world uh, application of things. So those six C's are the soft skills that we want kids to have so that they are ready for whatever uncertain future is thrown at them. And they are things that are in our curriculum, but sometimes we get really focused on content and we forget that they're there. And we forget that they are that accelerator to learning. So if we slow down and take the time to develop those in our classrooms, we'll reap more in the long run educationally. What's also interesting is if you look at anybody who's an educational guru and you look at the way they structure their programming, there's almost always that part of the six C's baked into what they believe. And it almost always happens near the front of whatever you're doing. It's, it's the front-loading matter that happens in the classroom. But again, we have a tendency to jump over that and dive right into the quote-unquote curriculum. So I think what I love the most about deep learning is it gives permission to address the more human side of education and uh, to know that we can spend time there and we'll reap it in the long run with kids, ultimately. Okay, and you've added, or the program's added the character and citizenship part, which isn't normally a part of the whole C package. What kind of difference does that make in how you approach this? Uh, Do you know where that came from? So in St. James' Assiniboia School Division, where Tara and I both serve as deep learning coaches, uh, about eight or nine years ago, We started trying to define the 21st century skills for our teachers and for our students because there was all kinds of talk about the 21st skills that kids need to be successful 
and nobody ever really named them at that point. So we talked about these five C's, which included creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, and we had citizenship included in ours as well, because there was a lot of talk about digital citizenship and um, how kids are contributing to the, you know, thinking sort of more globally as opposed to locally in terms of their actions. Um, and it was just a, a handful of years ago that Michael Fullen uh, started this global partnership uh, where he wanted to define deep learning or deeper learning is uh, the term that they were using. So uh, his organization, the New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning, um, now runs this global partnership where we are one of several Manitoba school divisions that are on board. But there are school divisions and districts in all provinces and territories in Canada, um, as, long, as well as seven other countries around the world that are participating. So countries like the Netherlands, New Zealand, Australia, Uruguay, uh, the United States has just come on board over the last few years. Um, so occasionally they bring people together to talk about what they're doing to try and transform not just their schools or their provinces, um, but in some cases their entire countries. Um, so Michael Fullen, when he was identifying what he calls the global competencies or what we call the six C's, um, they use the four widely recognized C's of communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking, and they added officially to their global competencies citizenship and character, thinking that it really humanizes um, the idea of deeper learning. Uh, a lot of people out there consider deep learning to have a lot to do with robots and artificial intelligence. Um, so this aspect of deeper learning really humanizes the work that we're doing with students in our schools. It's funny, I was just on a conference call where Michael Fullen had called in and somebody had asked him the question, if you had to add a seventh C, what would it be? And he said it would be compassion compassion is the action side of empathy but that it's already kind of hidden in character when you take a look at it because part of character is that grit perseverance piece but also empathy um, and, and you know having character for others or towards others so his most recent response I know he's changed his thought a couple times when you ask him what's the seventh C but recently he said that he thought compassion could be the seventh C if they were looking to add something and that acknowledges what we've kind of known all along about what we're doing in education, that it's so much more than just the content. Um, how does that fit into the teaching and learning stuff that happens? Well, I think for the longest time we've had that factory model of education where we're churning kids out and you know pushing them through the system, but um, there's so much more to school and there's so much more to life. And I think there's a greater divide between what kids do outside of school and what we're expecting them to do inside school. Um, so we know that technology can give us new and better opportunities for students to be able to share their learning. And uh, it transforms not just the learning, but also the teaching that is possible in this day and age. Um, it reminds me of the, so last year, um, Andy and I were in charge of doing a, a retreat for the administrators of our division. It's for the administrators, the superintendents, the trustees. And we were given the go-ahead to use deep learning as sort of like the overarching theme. And we wanted to start the whole retreat off with the voices that we thought were the most important, so we had a student panel. And we gave them some questions beforehand, roughly around the six C's. And we had them sort of talk about why they thought these things might be important. And what I thought was so interesting is that when we asked kids to tell us what the, the best part of school was, 
almost every time they gave us an example that had to do with having a really meaningful connection with the teacher. And so one, and one of the former students, a graduate who's now working in Thompson, at the, one of the science, not Thompson, uh, sorry, Churchill. Churchill, sorry, working in Churchill, um, doing all the you know, research with polar bears and stuff like that. Uh, he had said that when he thinks back to school, to him, he doesn't always remember like, you know, how to conjugate the French words or the formulas for chemistry. What he remembers is the connections with the teachers that he had. And when he was hitting soft spots in his life, it was ultimately the connections with teachers that kind of helped him float back to the surface. And so I, I just think that even when we ask kids what's most important about school, when they go back to the human side of things and how that's what sticks with them and that's where the rich learning is, I think we need to listen more closely to that. They don't say, you know, I found deep meaning in conjugating, fr not that I'm picking up French teachers, but you know what I mean? <laughs> they find meaning in the relationships yes. first. Right. So maybe your seventh C is connections. Yeah, maybe. Because we always talk about relationships and teaching. That's a big thing, it's, you know, and faculties of education too we talk about but yeah it brings that the importance of that doesn't it too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you don't have a good relationship with students not much learning will take place yeah. probably. Mm -hmm. totally yeah we want school to be meaningful and relevant so the more we can tie it to the real world and give kids opportunities to share their learning in creative and innovative ways I think we're serving our system well uh, student voice student choice are of the utmost importance. Um, there authentic are a lot of things Authentic audiences, that, authentic purposes. And when we look at some of the curricular reform that's currently happening in our province in Manitoba, things like the new ELA curriculum, a big part of that curriculum has to do with power and agency. So if we're giving our kids worksheets to fill in, you know, there's not really a whole lot of room for that. So teaching needs to look a little different so that the learning can look different. And for some teachers, it's hard to let go of our past practices. Mm -hmm. Something that's worked well for decades in a classroom may not necessarily still be the best way of doing it. Yeah. And how does, what kinds of technologies do you find uh, actually helpful with, uh, with this kind of learning? Uh, well, so a big aspect of deep learning has to do with putting the conditions in place for the learning to be more powerful and, and to go a little bit deeper. So uh, as part of the new pedagogies for deeper learning, Michael Fullen and his team have identified four uh, learning elements. Uh, these uh, four elements of learning design involve uh, proven pedagogy, so thinking about our teaching practices and how we can teach most effectively. Um, learning partnerships, so how we are meaningfully involving different partners, and that could just be parents being partners within the school. It could involve community partners, but they are partnerships that have purpose. Uh, the learning environment is another one of the, the elements of learning design that we always need to take into consideration. So in some cases, that's the layout and configuration of the classroom, but it's also leveraging online learning environments. It could be outdoor learning environments, thinking about where and how learning takes place. And then the last of these four elements of learning design is leveraging digital. So we know that digital can factor into everything that we do, whether it's opportunities for more innovative teaching practices, or whether it's opportunities for students to show what they know in, in different ways. Uh, here in our school division, we've got a lot of iPads that the students have access to, and we don't really like to see them as consumer devices. We like to see them as creation devices where the kids can actually create content to show what they know. 
uh, increasing partnerships between the home and the school so that parents have a sense of what their kid is doing when they are at school. Um, so every opportunity we can find to weave in the technology, not just technology for the sake of technology, but technology as a way of amplifying the teacher and learning. Yeah. And Tara, I know you uh, heard Michael Fullen say something very interesting about technology That was recently. my controversial question. Oh, then let's not talk about that just now. I'll leave that one okay. for, for now. But yeah. <laughs> going on, on that piece, do you have uh, maybe a specific example, maybe not naming schools or teachers, but um, something that someone has done that really exemplifies this deeper learning? Uh, I think I have a, a sort of a classic example that a lot of teachers will relate to. So I'm currently working in a, a grade 4-5 classroom, and um, the teacher is very technologically connected and comfortable and has had a class set of, well, not quite a class set, but a decent-sized set of Spheros. And so in the past, uh, the Spheros have been brought out, and students have been engaging in practicing of driving them, and some students have even gone to the level of coding. Um, but he struggled with trying to make those spheros have a meaningful purpose in the rest of the curriculum of their classroom. And so we sat down and did some brainstorming recently and found a connection to the social studies and uh, uh, science curriculums. And what we did first uh, to kind of deal with the more human and character side of things is took a look at a couple of different stories that talk about um, water scarcity in African and how it's often uh, women and young children who are set the task of collecting water for their families and that's an all-day task and it often pulls them away from education. Um, it, uh, it's a very long journey to water often. It has to be done daily. It's dangerous. There's all kinds of obstacles involved. And so the connection to technology there was instead of the spheros living in isolation, we said to the kids, the spheros are your robot. You need to design something that's going to have it collect water. So we laid out a grid on the floor that looked like a typical offline grid uh, for coding. We placed squares, uh, obstacles on certain squares based on the conversations we had about what are the obstacles to collecting water. We practiced a little bit of offline coding and then ultimately what the kids are doing now as we speak are designing apparatuses to go over top or around the Sphero so that they can then drive it through the obstacles to the watering stop, fill it with water and then safely bring that water back. Uh, and then what we'd like to do is kind of have a bit of a, a showcase or an exhibition where we bring in outsiders into the classroom. The students tell the story of water scarcity in Africa and the obstacles women and children face. And then they also go through their design process for their robot and their solution. So they're using technology in a very meaningful way to solve a real world problem. Um, and it's more than just driving. And it was funny because the minute we had the grid on the floor and we were talking about moving through the grid, one kid popped their hand up right away and said, this is coding. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. What do you know about coding? What is coding? So the kids see the connections right away. And, uh, and they were super excited to start the planning of what, what is this like robot going to look like? And the Im immediate like grit and perseverance that came through design was, was quite fun to watch as well. And that example, as you're talking about it, I could see how all those, a bunch of those C's are becoming part of it. Because I'd imagine they're working in teams yep. to do this. So the collaborations in there and the creativity, critical yep. thinking, the whole, whole bit. Yep. And again, connection. I think you need to add that. Yeah. <laughs> we see Fulan next week. So we'll be like, hey, we have a, a prospect for you. There Mr. you go. Fulan. 
expand your well, students. And we find that some schools that are getting started with the idea of deep learning and their, their staff are really just starting to explore the impact it can have in their classrooms. Some schools are tempted to just work with one C and they start off looking at just collaboration or communication and how they're going to improve in that area. They incorporate that into their school goals and their school plans. But we find it very challenging to see the C's in isolation because there really is so much overlap between mm -hmm. each and every one of them. So oftentimes the schools that start off just focusing on one of the C's in isolation, uh, they start to look at all of them in their entirety just because of that overlap. And the good news is you can never pick the wrong one to start with. Because if you start with critical thinking, well, you're going to lead yourself into communication and character. So you, it's just pick one, and everything kind of eventually wanders into a, a more global look at things anyways. Okay. Well, as easily, like before, nor ones that we regularly use, um, is it that they're as easily moving into citizenship and uh, character? Well, um, one of the things that we, one of the reasons that we as a school division joined the New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning, Michael Fulham's global initiative, was the fact that they wanted to come up with a way that the C's could be measurable. And that was one of the missing pieces that we had when we were first talking about these C's as being the 21st century skills that were so important for our students. We didn't have a way of measuring that. So we would talk to teachers about the importance of these skills and we would talk to students about the importance of these skills but we couldn't really quantify what that looked like or how they could improve upon their understanding of these skills. Um, so the NPDL, the New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning, have actually developed a series of progressions, which are essentially rubrics that are lifelong rubrics that start at early childhood, go right through to adulthood. So you can see, you can kind of place yourself on that continuum of skill development. So when it comes to collaboration or communication, they've broken each of these C's into a variety of subtopics. Collaboration is so much more than working together to help one another. There are several different aspects of collaboration. And when you look at the progressions, you can see exactly where you fit and you know what your next steps are. So when there's a readiness, when teachers have a good sense of what those C's look like in the classroom and the students are using that, that language uh, to be able to identify what their own understanding of those skills are, um, then we can go to the progressions and we can start, I guess, mapping out our journey and thinking about how we want to improve upon our own performance of these skills. Which kind of reminds me, like, teachers, teachers always want to jump to assessment first. And uh, we had a, a gentleman who came into work um, with our math teachers named uh, Peter Lilladal, and he was working around, you know, vertical non-permanent spaces and building and thinking classrooms and all of that kind of work. And our math teachers wanted to jump right to assessment. And he said, look, when you're changing pedagogy, start with pedagogy. And when you come back to me and just assess the way that you've always assessed, we're going to be ready to talk about assessment once you've changed your pedagogy to the point where you feel guilty about the way you're assessing, right? So he says, keep change your pedagogy. And once you feel a conflict between what you do in class and how you assess kids, then you're actually ready to make some change in your assessment end of things. But until then, keep assessing the way you've always assessed. Because if, if you're so personally connected to your forms of assessment that you're never feeling open to discuss them, then why are we jumping there to begin with? And I think it's the same with the progressions, right? Like when you are first diving into the deep learning conversation, don't start with the progressions. 
because it can feel they can feel really really overwhelming start with something tangible like looking at the elements of learning design or looking at the C's and diving into what those definitions actually mean the progressions are definitely like a, a when you're ready sort of situation and we learned that one the hard way I think Tara and I have one other colleague April Waters who is our third deep learning coach in our school division and the three of us spend most of our time in schools and in classrooms supporting teachers and students and April came back and shared a really interesting story with us of being in a kindergarten classroom and trying to explain what deep learning was all about. And one of these little kindergarten students put up her hand and said, well, that reminds me of being in a swimming pool because she was used to being in the shallow end and it was easy to walk on the bottom of the pool and keep her head above water. But the idea of going in the deep end and having to work a little bit harder and being a little bit scared of, you know, what if my head goes under and... Um, really, in so many ways, that's what deep learning is all about. It's getting out of our comfort zone and trying to fight through that a little bit. Mm. Out of the mouth of children, right? right? Exactly. Pretty profound. So for our listeners, is there a particular resource that you would suggest to them just to get started in playing with this? I would have to say, like, the Engage the World, Change the World book by Fullen and Team is a good starting place. It's got... It's got a good discussion of the why and the how, which I think is a balanced approach. You know, the, the fundamentals of why we do, why we believe this is important, as well as some practical examples of how this might look in different schools and different cultures and different grades. Yeah, one of the things we really like about that book is the fact that there are some little one-page snapshots of some case studies and some examples. So it could be a school in Australia or a school in Michigan where students have done these really interesting projects to share their learning and demonstrate their understanding. Um, And it involves all kinds of community outreach. And these are kids that are making a difference in their lives and in the world around them. Uh, And it also, I think it makes it easier for teachers to see that deep learning in so many ways is just good teaching. It's letting go of some of the control and giving your kids the ability to own the learning Uh, maybe set the direction of some of the learning in the classroom. In so many ways, it's just like the inquiry model and problem-based learning. Um, There are so many ways that that learning can look different than it always has. Okay. Well, this is probably a good point to kind of come to an end. We've used up a bunch of your time, but it sure seems like this is a bigger conversation, and maybe we'll revisit it in a future podcast. But just before we go, do you have some kind of a provocative question or comment or something to think about for our audience to maybe discuss in their own schools or whatever context they're in? I do. I do. And this is what I I was trying to protect before because I didn't want to leak my controversial question too early. Um, So uh, as I referenced before in the conversation, I was in a, um, what do you call it? Teleconference? Teleconference, that's the word I'm looking for. A teleconference where Fullen had joined us and was kind of doing a Q&A. And so one of the questions that he had been asked was, um, leveraging digital is an important part of building these rich learning experiences. It's built into the framework of learning design that deep learning sort of promotes. But one of the questions that he was asked was, um, how, how are schools juggling things in terms of the digital pushback that they may be receiving from parents around their children and screen time. And um, I was sort of surprised by Fullen's answer, and it's really 
caused me some cognitive dissonance in the sense that I'm trying to work my through my way through it. So his language was, and this was a fairly direct quote because I wrote it down in my notes here, that um, that technology is not our friend, and that we need to beware, and that it has a tendency to steamroll humanity. So I guess my sort of provocative question is to to mull over that and think through that and how do how do we balance that with the fact that it is important that we leverage digital in our classrooms and with our students and model sort of healthy practices with these tools. Good stuff to think about. It is. Mm -hmm. yes. Thank you for that. Well, thanks very much for spending time with us and joining us. Thanks. Thank you very much for having us on your podcast. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Manitoba Association for Computing Educators, MANACE, for sponsoring these podcasts. And thanks, too, to Tofu Stravinsky for the soundtrack. See you next time. Thank you.